entitled my message, um, as you know, we're going through a series on Joshua, and I entitled this message, I Will Be With You. Now, this morning, we have been introduced in our Bible reading to a prostitute. It's a strange introduction to a Bible message. It's a strange introduction to a, you know, a preach. We are introduced this morning to a prostitute in the Bible. Not only is she a prostitute, but also she is a non-Jew. In other words, she has nothing to do with the Jewish people. She is an alien, a stranger. So she's a prostitute and she's a non-Jew and she's in the Bible. The question is, or we find when we go through the Bible, we find that this woman, whose name is Rahab, we find that she actually is in the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus Christ. How strange. A prostitute in the Old Testament is somehow linked into the family tree of Jesus Christ. And we see it over in Matthew, here's the Bible verse, just so you can see it for yourself. Just list a few names. And I'll read it to you. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, that's the same woman. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And it goes on. The question is, why is Rahab there? Why is a woman who's not even a Jewish lady, why is she there? What's more um, amazing, why is a prostitute in the line of Jesus Christ? That is what we're going to answer today. Why? Well, first thing I want to um, give to you, I want to show you some of the facts that our Bible reading um, is, is all about. So we read in verse 1 that um, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now Joshua secretly sent two spies. Quite amazing, and, and, and there's a reason behind it, because 40 years ago, they sent out 12 spies. And um, Joshua was one of those 12 spies 40 years ago. And 10 of the spies came back with a very negative report. Very bad report. They said, this land is too big. We can't go in. And they discouraged the people. So Joshua decided not to send 10 or 12 spies out publicly, but he sent out two secretly. And these men entered into Rahab's house. Now, it seems to me that although she was a sinful woman, although she wasn't a Jew, although she was a prostitute, it seems to me that God was doing something in that woman's life. Now, can I just stop right there? Because um, we live in a generation, a time where 
um, in the past, Christianity was really seen for the educated people. I mean, you go down to um, Oxford, for example, and you walk around Oxford. The universities there are called all Christian names. So you've got, um, in the university in Oxford, you've got Jesus College. You've got Emmanuel. You've got Christ Church College. You've got Trinity College. And all these universities in Oxford are called after Christian names. That at a time, people thought, well, Christianity is for the educated, for the, you know, the world turned out sort of people. But the truth is, actually, Christianity is not just for people who are educated. The problem in the New Testament is that we had people in the New Testament who only thought that Christianity or or, or the faith in God was only for the religious, only for those who were at a high standard. And there's a story in the Bible where, in the New Testament, where um, this man was born blind. And because he was born blind, Jesus came. And the power of Christ to heal that man was so incredible and this man began to give testimony about how wonderful and how powerful Jesus is. And he turned around this man and he turned to the religious people. And, and he told them um, how wonderful Jesus was. And this was their reply. They said this to him. They replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Look at you. You're blind. You're disabled. God's not interested in you. You trying to lecture us? We are the religious guys. We know God. Look at you. You're steeped in sin. And they threw him out of the church, of the synagogue. Now, what I like is the next verse. Listen to the next verse. What it says here. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, He said, do you believe in the Son of God? I like that. Jesus heard. And then Jesus went out looking for him. Let me go out and find him. Let me go and search for this guy. I heard that they've thrown him out. This man that they claimed to be steeped in sin from birth. They chucked him out of the church. They want nothing to do with him. But Jesus said, let me find him. And went out for him, looked for him, found him and spoke to him. Some of you may know the story of um, blind Bartimaeus. And um, blind Bartimaeus was a man who, as as his name suggests, was blind. And as a blind man, he heard that Jesus Christ was coming. And he heard that Jesus was passing by. And so Bartimaeus began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What did the people say to him? They turned around, and we, and we have it right here in the Bible. They turn around, and they, they say to him, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Listen, look at you. You're a tramp. You're blind. Jesus is too busy for you. Jesus hasn't got any time for you. Why don't you just shut up and be quiet? But this man, instead of being quiet, the Bible said he cried out all the more, all the more louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And guess what? Jesus stopped the whole procession. 
Everybody stop, he says. Don't want no one else to talk to me. Bring me that man. I love that. You see, even though people rebuked him, even though people turn around and say, Jesus doesn't want you, the very fact is, Jesus had time for sinful men and women. Rahab, you're a prostitute. Rahab, nobody really wants to hang out with you. No one who's decent anyway. Rahab, you're not even a Jewish lady. You're a, you're a pagan. You're a foreigner. You're a stranger. And yet God turns around and says, I am and I want to work with a woman like that. And the, the Bible backs it up. Paul, when Paul's writing to a church, Paul turns around and says this, God chose, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God chooses men and women that other people may reject. People may turn around and put you off and say, you're a waste of space, you're a waste of time. I want to tell you, God had a desire to touch your heart and life. So Christianity is not just for the educated. But sometimes I find that even those who are not educated feel that they're too big for Jesus Christ. I mean, those who, who, who enter into prison, I was talking to someone this week, those who go into prison, sometimes come out of prison saying, well, you know what? Being in prison was like a badge of honor. You know, I've made it. I've been inside for five years. You know, I've got, I've got some kind of credibility about me. And they think that they've got a badge of honor because they spent time in prison. I want to tell you this morning. Jesus Christ looks for men and women who know that they're sinful. Who know that they're weak. The Bible says God chooses the weak things to shame the strong. So Jesus Christ is in the business of choosing weak and frail people. Rahab, you might be the worst person in the whole of Jericho. But God said, I'm working in you. I've chosen you. I'm going to speak to you. And Rahab is brought into the family of God. So the second thing that I want us to see, not only the facts, I want to see knowledge. I want to speak about knowledge. I want you to show you exactly what Rahab knew. What did she know? Because the things that she knew can only be revealed to her by God himself. So what did Rahab actually know? Three things. The first thing I want to say to you is that she knew something of the promise of God. Look what the Bible says. This is Rahab speaking, and she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. I thought this is amazing, because 40 years ago, 10 spies 
came into the land. And they knew the power of God. They knew the promises of God. And yet they did not have the same confidence in the promise of God as Rahab had. They turned around and said, no, we can't go in. But Rahab somehow knew that if God promises something, he's able to perform it. Praise God. Well, Paul knew the same thing. When he was speaking about Abraham, he says this. Speaking about Abraham, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. God has power to do what he's promised. And you know, when I look at the Bible, I read some verses which talks about people who sin. And in Ezekiel it says, the soul that sins shall surely die. God has the power to cut a person away from his presence. The soul that sins shall surely die. That scares me. That worries me. Because I realize that God doesn't mess around with his words. God doesn't play around. When he speaks, he speaks knowing that he has the authority and the power to do what he says. But not only that, God has the power to fulfill his promises when we go through difficult times. Look at the, um, the Bible verse here. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God. God says this, I will deliver you. I will help you. I will hold your hand. I will lead you through the storm. I will get you through the other side. And when God says he will do that, I want to tell you, my friends, he has the power to fulfill his promises. He will never let you down. I love what Grant was sharing today about going through one of the most difficult times of seeing your father deteriorate and die before your very eyes. A very difficult time knowing that God is able to take a hold of his hand and lead him through that difficult path. And that is the promise. Rahab knew the promise of God. God said he'll give you this land and I believe it. She knew the promise of God. That's the first thing she knew. The second thing that Rahab knew, she knew the power of God. She knew the power of God. Look what she says here. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of the Red Sea. Man, that's great. And what you did to, the, to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. We have heard that God... Your God dried up the Red Sea, displayed great power and great authority. She heard it. And when I think about what she knew, there's many places that I can turn in the Bible to speak to you about the power of God. So many places. There's so many people I can point to in this church, in this church, 
who will testify here that God's power has saved me. God's power has healed me. God's power has done incredible things in my life. Can I just mention one guy? David Apogee is here today. I love David Apogee. You don't know him, you want to speak to him. Little man. Big character. I went into his hospital bed. The doctor said to his wife, this man is not coming out. He's sitting here now worshipping and praising God. I want to tell you, I've been in that hospital bed, seen how sick, how skinny, how thin he was. Power of God. I can point to, not just, I can point to number of people in the church. I can carry on. But I'm telling you, I want to point to one thing and one thing only in the Bible that displays the power of God beyond any, any other thing that you can think of. We find it in Matthew chapter 28. We find it after Jesus was crucified. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Madeline and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. What was happening? i tell you what was happening. That was the morning when the power of God was being displayed. Jesus Christ was buried in that tomb, dead and cold and lifeless, but the power of God rolled that stone back. The power of God released Jesus Christ from death, could not hold him. Hallelujah. That is the power of God, and you can look back at that. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you can look back at that, and you can turn around and say that is historical fact, because there's no one who has said or discovered the body of Jesus Christ, because eyewitnesses account Show us and tell us that Jesus Christ was seen after. He was crucified on that cross. Hallelujah. That is the power of God. Now Rahab, this prostitute, looked back and she said, Man, we've heard that God dried up the Red Sea for you guys. What wonderful power. But you... Today, in this 21st century, can look back and say, nothing can can be compared to what God has done in Christ Jesus from rising him from the dead. And guess what? Not only was Christ risen from the dead, but you too, if you believe in Jesus Christ, death, the grave, is not your final destination. You will rise again. Praise be to God. Death is not the end. We were saying this on Wednesday. Some people got some crazy ideas about death. They think, oh, if you die, you become a star in the sky. If you die, you, you, you enter into earth and you go back into mother nature. If you die, you end up as a fat baby sitting on a cloud somewhere. Crazy ideas about what happens when you die. But I want to tell you, the Bible is not, it's very clear what will take place when you die. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the 
the Bible says the same power will raise you as well and give you a new body, resurrected body, place you on a resurrected earth where you will be worshipping and praising God and serving him. Well, Rahab knew something of the power of God. The third thing that she knew, she knew something of the authority of God. She knew something of the authority of God. Look what she says. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. In other words, what she was saying is this. Everything belongs to God. There is nothing in the heavens that's out of his control. The stars, the mountains, the ravine, the valleys, everything belongs to God. That's what she's saying. Now today, people are trying to get rid of God. They're trying to put him in a box and shove him under the bed and say, you know, we can just ignore him. That's what people are trying to do today. But God, as Rahab says, is God of heaven and of earth. Now there was a few astronauts um, who went out to do space. We will never have the privilege of going up into space, but this astronaut, three different guys went up into space. And um, this particular guy, a guy called um, Frank Bonard, he was the commander of the first crew to travel into space. He looked down 250 miles. He looked down from his spaceship down to Earth. And he emailed or text or sent a message back to base. And it was this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And he said this. I had this enormous feeling that there was a God. That there was indeed a beginning. That was Frank Borman. Another man who walked on the moon in 1971. Wasn't the first man who walked on the moon, but he walked on the moon anyway. I wouldn't mind being the 10th the, the, the thousand man to walk on the moon, but that's not going to happen. But this guy walked on the moon in 1971. He said this, I felt the power of God as I never felt it before. Astronaut James Irwin. A third astronaut was in orbit. And while he was in orbit looking at the earth and looking at the stars, he said these words, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God, to me, is impossible. Well, I don't know, look at these guys, wonderful as they are, tremendous testimony. I just got into the Bible and I opened the word of God. And, and when I opened the word of God, you know, I see these words. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? That blows me away. God, I look in the heavens 
And I see the moon and the stars and the planets. And I see the whole vast of creation. Like the astronauts who went up into space. Seeing things that we would never see. Then I consider myself. I consider man. And I say, what is me? What am I? That you are mindful of me. Even though that is the truth. We bring it back to ourselves. The Bible turns around and says that. It says this, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Even though, God, you created all things, you saw me in my mother's womb. Even though you created the sun and the moon and you put it all in place, you've ordained my days. You've opened the chapter of my life. And you wrote exactly where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do. And one Sunday morning, I'll be sitting in Golding's church, listening to a preacher. Lord, you know my days. You've written them all down before even one of them came to be. What is man? That you are mindful of him? The very fact is, God is mindful of you. He knows you. In fact, I'm amazed. The Bible says your hairs on your head are all numbered. Everything about you, God knows. It's amazing. Rahab knew this. She knew that God had authority in heaven and on earth. Everything belongs to him. She knew that. Now, what do you do with this knowledge? If you know what he thinks about God, you know his power, you know his promises, you know his, you know, his, his authority, what do you do with all this knowledge of God? What did Rahab do? Well, let's go and see what Rahab did about all this knowledge. Action. Well, it caused her to seek kindness from the Lord and from his people. Look what she says. Now then, she says, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Listen to Rahab. She says, give me a sure sign. I don't want your word. I don't want you to say, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sort you out when we get into the land. No, I want a sure sign, she says. And so the men, the two spies who had gone into the land, sent by Joshua, gives her a sure sign. I want you to notice, in the next Bible reading, I want you to notice the color that is used. Let's look at it. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made, I swear, will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window to which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brother and all your family into the house. Rahab, they said. Wes will promise you, but let me give you a sure sign. Take this scarlet cord, this red cord and tie it in the window. Now some of you may be thinking, what's all that about? Well, 40 years before, these young men, these two spies, 40 years ago, they were over in Egypt. 
It was a dreadful night, that night. It was a night of great pain, a night of great wailing. What took place? Well, on that night, God said, I'm going to pass through that land and I'm going to strike down every firstborn child in that house. Let me give you the reading so you can see it for yourself. Look what it says. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on the both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. These two spies were there. Maybe they were little children. Maybe they were young boys in the house. Maybe they saw their dad taking the blood of the lamb and painting it on the top and the side. And they said, Dad, what are you doing? And they said, this is the order from God. We had to put the blood on the side because I want to protect you, my kids. The angel of God will come over the whole land. And everyone who have not got this mark on their door will lose a child in their house. That's what we're doing, son. And now we find these two men talking to this prostitute, Rahab. Let me give you a sign, they said. Take this red cord, tie it on the window. And when, and bring your family. Don't leave anyone outside. Bring your family, your brothers, your sisters, everybody. Bring them in. Because when we come into the land, that will be your safety. Put your faith in the word I'm speaking to you. Now, what Rahab did and what happened in Egypt all points to one thing. All points to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what it points to, my dear friends. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, someone, the Son of God, shed his blood on that cross. And I love this verse. And it's my last verse this morning. If you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies, cleanses us from all sin. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that you need to put your faith in. Not your faith in man, not your faith in a church, not your faith in a book, not your faith in your own works. No, no, no. Your faith must be placed in the blood of Christ and Christ alone, in his death and in his death alone. Because once you've done that, then the Anger of God will see the blood of Christ on you. Pass over. Pass over. Praise God indeed. Pass over and giving you a life in his presence. Why is Rahab, why is that woman, a prostitute, 
an alien? Why is she in a family tree of Jesus Christ? I tell you why. Because she put her faith in the word of God. And because she did, her family was spared. Now my question to you this morning, where are you putting your faith? Where are you putting your trust? I hope you're not putting it in Golding's church. I hope you're not putting it in coming to hear this crazy preacher on a Sunday morning. I hope you're putting it solely in the blood of Christ. What he has done on his cross. That's why I'm preaching on Joshua. I'm going, to, I'm going to Easter. I'm going to the Passover. Because when I get there, there you will see the power of God in all his glory. Bringing men and women into his kingdom. My question to you. Are you in the kingdom of God this morning? If you're not, then be sure not to leave this house without making sure you're in his kingdom, washed by the blood of Christ, forgiven, and going out saying, I'm going out not to, I'm telling you now, Rahab had a changed life. She didn't start being a prostitute afterward. No, no, no. She had a changed life. And that is what it's all about. A changed life. Not going back into my old way. Oh, I carry on stealing. Carry on taking drugs. Carry on doing what? No, no, no. A changed life. Why? Because I'm remorseful. I'm repenting. I'm turning from sin. Because Christ has died for me. Cleansed me. Washed me. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. And I'm walking Father, God Almighty, I pray that my voice will be put to one side. Because I want your spirit to work, Lord. For you to work. Not only in my life and in my heart, Lord, but to work in every single person in this place. For Lord, we know that time is short. We thank you, Lord, that you know the day of our birth. And you've written every single chapter in our lives. Every day that has been ordained has been written in your book, Lord. Even the day of our passing away. And so therefore, Lord, we do not want to lose one day, one second away from you. And we pray, oh God, that you will draw us, draw us, each one closer. May we know your forgiveness. May we know your grace. May we know your mercy and may we know your power to change. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.